about half the time on this time of year, I'll stop and talk about Jesus coming to earth, and about half the time, I'll continue on with a series. And today, as I was reading scripture, or actually this week, as I was reading scripture, I thought, you know, where we're at in this little mini-series is just right. Jesus came to die. When I read the accounts, and I read when uh, Simeon saw him at eight days old in the temple, he said, I see thy salvation. When Anna saw him at the same time, she said, that's the redemption of God's people. Jesus came to die. We got a uh, postcard in the mail a couple days ago from my niece up in Michigan. She had a little boy two months ago. And it was the first time I saw some electronic pictures, but it was the first time I saw a hard copy. Good looking little guy. I was thinking, what would happen if I showed up at his house right now and showed up with a coffin or showed up with burial clothes? I think my niece would run me out of time as being a kook. But you know, that's what the wise men brought. He, they brought burial ointments to a little child. Why? Because he came to die. Now I suspect they sold those ointments and the gold to finance their trip to Egypt to save his life. But Jesus came to die. I just haven't been able to get that out of my head. So Lord willing, what I'd like to do is continue this series. We're looking at the political climate when Jesus uh, was born. We looked at the political climate when he was ministering for the three and, three and a half years. And today I want to look at the climate as he was uh, tried and then executed. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to go through quick this first part. I think a lot of this will be very familiar to you. The first thing I want you to know is Jesus' new Old Testament prophecy. In Genesis 3.15, it said he will be enmity between the devil and his, the woman. In Isaiah 50, he said, my back is smitten, my cheeks were plucked. I did not uh, hide from shame or spitting. In Isaiah 53, in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was healed for our stripes. Jesus came into the world, and from the age that he was cognitively able, he understood that. And still, I don't understand God and man, so how, what he knew at three months or not, I, I don't know. I can't even pretend to understand that. But I did know he came to die. When he was with his disciples, he told them on many occasions that what's going to happen is, is I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be taken of men, I'm going to be rejected of men, I'm going to be killed, and three days later I'm going to ri rise. He said that in Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and uh, 10.33. He told that story often. I have come to die. Jesus knew all that would come to pass in Mark 10, 38. He said, talking to James and John who wanted to sit on his right hand, he said, you do not know the drink that I drink of and you do not know the baptism I am baptized with. See, they didn't know it, but he knew it. John 12, 27, Father, save me from this hour, for this cause came I unto this hour. This is a prayer that he offered up. And then in John 18, 4, and then again in 19, 28, Jesus knowing all things that should come upon him. Again, Jesus came to die. So we celebrate this season time of the year to celebrate a little baby, but we can't forget the fact that that little baby come to die and to conquer death for you and I. That's why he came. And then one more, as we came to Paul's preaching, Paul certainly affirmed all the reasons why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. 
with that, I hope there's no ambiguity in your head. Jesus knew what he did. He knew the Old Testament. He taught his crucifixion. He knew all things that would come to pass. And uh, Paul reaffirmed his reason for coming. This was not a secret. And it should not be a secret to us. We are gathered together because the gospel is the good news that Jesus paid for sins, but then he conquered the death, and because of his resurrection, we will partake in that. Praise the Lord. That's a pretty good celebration. Now, Satan's mission was to destroy Jesus. There's no secret to that either. And the thing is, is he failed. Jesus offered himself, even though Satan was after him, even before he was ever born. He was trying to ruin his lineage. When we go to scripture in Matthew 4, 6, Satan and his, remember when he went in the wilderness and he, he was fasting for the 40 days? What did he tell him? He said, cast thyself down from the pinnacle of the temple. He was trying to get him to kill himself. In John 6, 70, Jesus said to his disciples, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. It's not like Judas Isariot snuck in there. He wasn't clandestine. Jesus picked him. He knew exactly what he was doing. And then John 13, 2, finally the devil put into Iscariot's heart to betray him. The devil was out to kill Jesus Christ. But it would, did not happen until the time was right. He used earthly rulers. Way back when in Exodus 1, Pharaoh commanded that every son that is born was cast into the river. Even back then, Satan was trying to cut off the lineage to Jesus Christ. In Matthew 2.13, the angel said to Joseph, flee to Egypt for Herod will seek to destroy the child. Still trying to kill Jesus. And then Mark 3.6, the Pharisees took counsel with the Herodians how they might destroy him. And this was very early in his ministry. The goal was to kill Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to die, but it was going to be on God's terms. And he also used the Jews to try to kill him. This is Satan speaking. I'm Satan's motivation. Luke 19, 47, the chief priests, the scribes, and the chief of the people sought to destroy him, that him being Jesus Christ. We read it again in Luke 20 and 19, the chief priests and scribes sought to lay hands on him. And then Luke 22 and verse 2, chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, but they feared the people. There was some of the politics going on. They wanted to do it, but they were afraid of looking too guilty in front of the people. So they were working in a way, trying to make look good, even though they had the dastardly deed in the mind. Okay, Jesus came to die. Satan wanted to kill him, but Satan's not the one that killed him. Everything happened under the authority of God. Jesus Christ submitted himself to nine courtrooms before he died. Nine. There were three Jewish courtrooms. There were three Roman courtrooms. And there was three courtrooms before God. And, and if you want to go back and read this, basically uh, what you'll want to do is you'll want to go through the Gospels and you want to go through Matthew 26 and 27. You want to go through Mark 14 and 15. You want to go through Luke 23, last half of 22. And then you want to go through John 18 and 19. And then you'll get through all these trials and each one of the Gospels focuses on a different set. But if you want to get all nine of those trials, that's, that's where you've got to go. The first thing is, is what I find absolutely remarkable in the three Jewish trials, they had decided on a sentence. The sentence was death. What the trial was is to work out the details 
looking for a crime, a charge, and evidence. The verdict was already decided. What hadn't been decided is what charge we're going to use to kill him. The Son of God came to earth to die, but yet he submitted himself to the Jewish rulers that had nothing but evil on their mind. Isn't that amazing? In, in Mark 14 and 15, the council sought witnesses against Jesus to kill him, but they couldn't find any. Well, what do you do when you can't find witnesses? You make them up. So we go to Mark 14, 56, and many bear fault witnesses against him, but their witnesses did not agree. Witnesses they have, the stories didn't tell the story. And then finally in John 18, 9, 29, 30, Pilate said, what accusation you bring me? And remember they said, well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't bring him to you. That's what we call in logic called circular reasoning. They didn't have anything to do it. So when we see them coming, it was the Jews, they went through these trials, and the purpose was, is to kill Jesus. The details about a verdict and an offense and a charge and evidence and witness, that, that, that's an afterthought. We'll take care of that afterward. We've already got the verdict. We've already got the sentence. There was no guilt. I find it interesting that Pilate said in John 1838, that was in the first Roman trial, Pilate went out again and said, I find no fault in him. In other words, he's innocent. John 19.4, Pilate went forth again and says, I find no fault in him. And then Matthew 27.18, he says, Pilate knew for envy they had delivered him. Think about it. We're, in a second, we're going to look at three Roman trials. And in those Roman trials, there's going to be no evidence. There's going to be no defense attorney. There's going to be no rebuttal by the witness or by the accused. And you've got people that are making up stories against him, no one speaking for him, yet he's going to be found innocent. Isn't that amazing? No defense attorney, no jury, no witnesses, but they're still going to, they're going to find him innocent to, to defend him. And then one set, no doubt. Now, now even... Pilate and Herod understood the innocence. But notice the overwhelming fact. Pilate's wife said him this to this in 2719. Pilate went out and sent a message saying, have nothing to do with this just man. Even Pilate's wife had enough sense to know that guy's innocent. In Luke 23, 47, the centurion that was overlooking was glorifying God. He said, certainly this was a righteous man. Even the Roman soldier said, hey, this guy's innocent. And then, of course, we realize Pilate and Herod both found him innocent. I mean, the overwhelming evidence that he was innocent is just absolutely incredible. What kind of court systems were this? And they weren't courts. I guess that's what we call kangaroo courts. They were a mess. Okay, so, so let's, let's start getting into in some of the scripture a little bit deeper. Okay, let's look at some of this politically maneuvering. If you want to open your Bibles, this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Okay, this section happened here in Luke 23. And I'm going to give you a little bit way of remembering if, if you remember, I think in the very first lesson when I was given the background for this, Rome had pretty much a, a political policy. And when they came in and they conquered a the people, basically they had three ultimatums. They said, number one, we want you to pay your taxes. Number two, I want you to supply our soldiers. And number three, I want you to respect the authority. And if you do those three things, we'll back off and give you a very long leash. We'll let you operate. 
You can keep your own currency, you can keep your own economy, you can keep your own religion, you can keep your own local rulers and your local judges. But if you back off on any of those three, we're going to bear down on you. Well, it turns out that Rome had that policy, and it wasn't just for Israel, but it was basically when you looked around that Mediterranean perimeter, you'll see that that was the policy they had. And if a country submitted, they kind of backed off, and a country was rebellious, they kind of bore down and they really pressed them. Well, Judah was one of those countries that rebelled. They were always pushing. And if you remember the very first Lenin, the very first Herod, the one that Herod the Great, the one that wanted to kill Jesus when he was under two years old, his first assignment by Rome was to be the government of Galilee. He was the local one. And the reason why they sent him up there is they were being rebellious. They were pushing against the soldiers. They were not paying their taxes. And they were pushing against Rome. So they sent Herod up there to set things in order. And Herod did set things in order. And that's one of the things that got him his social credibility with Rome that allowed him to be the position that he had many years later. That was that as a 27-year-old boy. And as we go through the history, we find out Rome was barren down. They stayed tough on those three things. And Jewish people pressed against all three all the time. But when we looked at Jesus' ministry, we found that Jesus said, submit to all three. He said, pay your taxes. If a soldier says, carry my armament one mile, carry his armament two miles. And he said, respect authority. So the very thing Jesus did was to preach submission to those three rules. Jews never got it. You can go all the way to 70 AD and you'll find out they were not doing those three things. Guess what the Jews accused Jesus of doing when they want to get him killed. Those three things. The things they did, the things he submitted to, the things he preached against are the very things they said, this is what Jesus is doing. Let's look at it. Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, tribute is taxes, and saying, he himself is a king. In Luke 23, 5, and they were more fierce because it looked like Pilate wasn't buying their story. And he said, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, and began from Galilee to this place. They were saying he was resisting Rome. And the thing was, he did nothing of the kind. They were doing that the entire time. This is the political climate that Jesus offered himself up to. And then also in Luke 23, 12, and the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Do you remember we talked about the politics of the time? Judah, if, if you were a Roman citizen or a Roman politician, Judah is probably one of the last places you would want to get assigned. If you got assigned to go to Judah, your whole duty was to do a good job to get out of there so you can get back to Rome. And the way you did that is you kept the cash flow coming and you keep the people calm. So here's Pilate and here's Herod, and normally they were doing this against each other. But they got together. Why? Because they wanted to keep the people calm. And Jesus wasn't stirring them up, but the Jews had such a, a tumultuous thing going on there. They think, well, I got to calm this. We're gonna... And the whole reason they agreed to killing Jesus was for political pressure. 
So there's Rome's ultimatums. They keep coming back. Wokeness. Did you know there was woke back then? You think, no, woke's only for today. No, there was woke back then too. Okay, let's look at this. In Matthew 27, 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should say, ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. This is when Pilate says that this time we have a custom. We let one person loose and we, 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 we do that for the people. And the chief priests and the elders went among the masses and they used their propaganda or they used their persuasion and they tried to talk them, scream for Barabbas, the murderer. Let's scream for the murderer. Mark 15, 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, notice it wasn't right, it wasn't justice. It was simply to calm the people, release Barabbas unto them and deliver Jesus. And when he had scourged him to be crucified. I looked at Jesus' three Jewish trials. Now, the first one was against Annas. And his is what I'd call a bench trial. And then there was Caiaphas. He was the current high priest. I would call that an administrative trial. And then right at 601, 602, they went to the Sanhedrin, which is what I would call a jury trial. All three of them condemned him guilty, gave him the sentence of death without evidence, without witnesses. So then we come to the three Roman trials. And the three Roman trials is the first one is Pilate. Pilate says innocent. But then he finds out, oh, Herod. So he passes them along to Herod. Herod interrogates them. He says, innocent. And then Herod sends them back to Pilate. And Pilate a second time, which is the third Roman trial, he says, innocent. But he declares him not guilty, but he, but he gives him the sentence of death. So in the first one, we have the death sentence without evidence. In the second one, we have the death sentence without a guilty verdict. Why? Because Jesus came to die. And without it, you are still in your sins. And without it, he has not conquered death. He came to die. And I find it interesting, when he comes to die, he comes in a way where he's submissive to the Jewish law, and he's submissive to the secular rule. But now he has three more trials, and he's going to go before God. A Roman sentence without a evidence or a guilty verdict. Mark 14, 64, and he heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. This is the Jews speaking. Luke 23, 24, Pilate gave the sentence that it should be as they required. Not as the law demanded, but as they required. Okay, let's talk about these nine courtrooms. We've talked about them from an overview. Let's look at a little bit of the scripture. I want you to show if you're looking for the uh, scripture for this. Annas is in John 18, 13 through 23. Caiaphas is in Mark 14, 53 through 65. And the Sanhedrin trial was in Luke 22, 62 through 71. See, again, you, it's really hard to understand what was going on during this trial and all the politics without reading all four gospels. You, you, you just can't get it by reading one gospel. You got to read all four gospels when put them side by side. You say, well, well, why would God do it that way? Well, that's the way just about it happens in the secular world. If you get witnesses, what you do is you line up their testimony, put side by side. 
Someone's watching it from the north. Someone's watching the, the, the scene of the crime from the south. Someone's watching it from the west. And you put all these things together to try to figure out what happened. Well, that's exactly what's happening with the gospel. This is the way evidence works. So he puts it together that way. Each declared Jesus guilty, unsettled on a charge. The Roman, Jesus lived under Roman rule. Again, Pilate, Herod, then Pilate, they all found him innocent. They declared Jesus innocent. Nevertheless, he was sentenced to death. Everything here is wrong, right? And then sovereign. I want to talk to you about these three courtrooms of God. Now, these are all according to the Old Testament. Jesus even submitted to that. Now, in the Old Testament, when an offering was made, and I don't care if it was a lamb or a bullock or a goat or a dove, whatever you had to do, you had to bring that lamb to the priest. And the priest would inspect the lamb, and he'd make a judgment that that was a worthy sacrifice. You you couldn't bring a three-legged lamb to the priest. You couldn't bring the runt of the litter to the the priest. You got it? You couldn't bring one with mange. You had to bring a healthy, perfect lamb as a sacrifice. Well... God made a judgment when he looked at Jesus Christ and he said, that is a worthy sacrifice. That was the first judgment of God. The second, and and if you need the Old Testament for that, you can go to Leviticus 22, 20 through 21, and you can cross-reference this with the Hebrews 9, 14. The second trial was, is he had to judge, but this time he wasn't judging Jesus, he was judging the people. And who's the people? You and I. He looked at our sins... And God, with our sins that were put on Jesus, he rendered us guilty, worthy of death. But something happened, substitution. So the penalty was not given to you and I. The penalty was given to Jesus Christ. So we were judged guilty, and you all are guilty. No, I am guilty. We all are guilty. That was the second trial. The first six trials were kangaroo courts. These last three, they're just right. And then the last one, again, if you're looking for the Old Testament, you'd go to Isaiah 53, 4 4 through 12. And as a cross-reference to the New Testament, you can go to 1 Peter 2, 24. That's judging the Bible guilty. But the last trial is in God had to make a third judgment. And that judgment was, is the law has been fulfilled. I am satisfied that the sentence has been served. So when Jesus was on the cross and he had been all that time and he died and he offered it up and the blood was put on the altar before the throne, God made a third judgment and he said, I'm satisfied. The law has been fulfilled. Lord, that's exactly what Simeon said when he saw that little baby, I see thou salvation. That's exactly what Anna said when she saw that little baby, redemption for God's people. That's exactly what happened in Matthew 1.21. She shall have a son. They should call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. Praise the Lord. He came to die. And he did come. And he did exactly what he came for, and that is to die for the sins of his people. Praise the Lord. That's it. So what does that mean for you and I? This is December 24th. I have no idea what your personal plans are. I don't know who you got presents for. I don't know who you got expecting presents from. Maybe you'll be disappointed. 
maybe beyond expectations. I, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've stressed out your calendar, so it's, it's like fitting 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound sack. Maybe you've done all that kind of stuff. But somewhere in the next couple days, I would challenge you to think of the present you got from Jesus Christ. And that's that you got eternal life. He came to die. He did exactly like God said. And not only did he just die, but he did it in the most despicable way of the Jews and the Romans' apathy and God's righteousness. He, he satisfied all of it in a way that's just incomprehensible to me. But I'm thankful that he did. Maybe that Christmas dinner doesn't turn out just right. Who cares? Maybe you spent X dollars on something and someone spent X minus something on your present. Who cares? I guarantee you what Jesus spent on the cross was more than all of y'all put together. All of y'all. I'm from Detroit and I just said all of y'all. He spent more than all of us put together. And the thing is, is if I went back a year, do you remember everything you got from everybody? If I went back five years, do you remember everything you got from everybody? You might remember one little special thing that you got when you're six years old, something like that. I, I get that. But how many things have you forgot? Now, let's talk about this present, this gift. What is it? He gave you eternal life. I hope you never forget that. I hope it lit you live every day like it. I'm going to go back to a message we preached probably about two months ago. When I look at this transaction, what Jesus did on the cross, he died. All your sins were put unto him. So when I, I look at that, we see words like we say salvation is free. Y'all, salvation was not free. It was really, really, really expensive. It was free to you but the transaction was not free. Amen? You say, he forgave us. Well, he didn't forgive Jesus because he bore the full brunt. He forgave. It looks like it forgave. from your perspective you were forgiven, but when you look at the whole transaction, the sin wasn't forgiven because he came to die to do that. We've been pardoned. Well, if you look at the whole transaction, there was no pardon. You may have served two years, but he served the last 18. You were not pardoned. Well, from your perspective, you were, but you look at the whole transaction. Well, he showed me mercy. Well, yeah, he did show me mercy. But when you look at the whole transaction, there was not mercy there. There was no mercy shown Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. Jesus came to die. And you think, maybe there'll be a little more hop in my step when I go this week. Maybe there'll be a little more patience with me. Maybe there'll be a little more thanksgiving. Maybe there'll be a little more gratitude. Maybe there'll be a little more mercy for others, a little more grace for others. Please, I hope as we look at this, this, uh, this subject, as we look at this day, I hope you all have a good time with family, but somewhere in the back of there, whether it be in conversation, whether it be in your prayers, whether it be in the Thanksgiving before a meal, maybe the Thanksgiving after, maybe it's with a kid, maybe with a child, maybe it's with a grandchild. This is the day Jesus came to earth to die. Now, I don't recommend you go getting a little coffin and putting it on your tree. I don't want you to do that. 
But you know what? If it makes you remember, maybe there's something you can, you can figure out what you need for your own mind and your own heart. But Jesus came to die. Y'all praise the Lord for that. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.